forget a thing about trains I get a sad kind of feeling When I see a passenger train In this fast-moving world that we live in Nobody rides much these days Maybe I'm a little sentimental Cause I know that things have to change But I'd still like to go for a train ride Cause I've got a thing about trains Train, train, train You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast about film often contains foul language, discussions of an adult nature, and spoilers for the films discussed are to be expected. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. All right, we're back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 196, and I am your host, Lee. I don't know want you to speak to me again until you are in uniform, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host Daniel, a disgrace to the South Harper. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing well. Disgracing the South every day. Uh, I hope. <laughs> yeah, just being a proper heroic Confederate. Uh, yes, yeah. indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're milling on some comedy. Uh, some Buster Keaton. I've seen Buster Keaton in things before, but I don't think I've ever seen one of his like actual movies that he was, you know, be behind, you know, before he became a studio player or whatever. So, right. Right. I've seen a few of his silence. I have seen this one before. Um, this isn't really a first time watch, but it's been a long time. And uh, most of the stuff I've seen has been like the, like the early silent stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be doing the general from 1926. Uh, but before we do that, we do have some comments to get through here. So, uh, Try to get through them real quick. Uh, David Wilt on the Facebook group uh, says, since you'll be reviewing the Phantom of the Opera, uh, uh-oh, <laughs> not this year anyway. Uh, <laughs> I did say we, we did put it on the list, but uh, that's probably going to be for next year. Um, well, there's a lot of stuff on the list that isn't going to get done anytime soon. That's, that's just how we roll. We like uh, to advertise the list and then don't actually do the things on the list. But he says, uh, one of these days you should review the rest of the Universal Monsters. Well, yeah, I mean... That's probably a thing we're going to do. So, I mean, I think we're, we at least have a couple universal horror on the list there already. I think somewhere in the 30s. Couple. I mean, you know, we can, I mean, we can always add, but, you know, mm-hmm. again, put it on the list. It's just a guarantee we're not going to do it. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Ward has a couple posts here on the uh, Facebook group as well. He, this was posted on February 26th, and he said exactly 100 years ago today, a film was released in Germany that was never heard from again and definitely not covered recently by two guys in some podcast. The Cabinet of Dr. Kiligari was released and currently holds 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. The site says regarding the film, arguably the first true horror film, The Cabinet of Dr. Kiligari set a brilliantly high bar for the genre and remains terrifying nearly a century after it first stalked the screen. Eh, I don't know so much about terrifying, but maybe if you're a little kid... 
you, you might. I mean, I, I think it would be interesting to see on a big screen and see if it if it has like kind of that like m- you know more terrifying effect. I think part of partly we've just kind of seen that kind of trope done over and over again. Yeah. So you know, but um, definitely terrifying audiences uh, upon its initial release. You know, on big on the big screen, I can definitely think of some substances you could be under the influence from and. Yeah, you might you might go out of your fucking mind watching that film. <laughs> uh, and he also posted another one of these uh, neural network videos. I don't know if you saw it or not. I haven't checked the Facebook group in a few days, so okay. Uh, so I will link this in the show show notes. It's a 4K 60 frames per second restoration of a trip through New York City in 1911. New York footage taken by uh, the Swedish company Svenska biographed Eastern on a trip to America. The thing with this one, I didn't like this as much as the one he posted before because they actually tried to colorize it and it looks Oh, I think weird. I saw this uh, maybe on uh, Twitter or something. It's a, uh, starts out, it's it's from a ship, right? Yes. Yes, okay, I did see this. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's obviously sort of amazing to get to see this footage, you know, restored like this. Really promising technology. Um, you know, when you when you kind of artificially color it, you know, bringing it to life by bringing it to 4k and 60 frames per second and then like distracting from that reality by artificially coloring it yeah not even in a way that's sort of like effective and looks real you know and i get there's an artistic side to this and all that sort of thing i mean colorization all this sort of stuff is always a uh you know it's as much an artist as science but uh i agree it looks phenomenal but uh not nearly as effective as the as the other one um just because of the color yeah you know it kind of, it kind of, you, you know the the film Pitch Black, uh, the yeah. Uh, yeah the the Riddick film. That's kind of what his <clears throat> vision looks like when he's when he's. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of kind of reminded me of. Uh, we got a post from Von Kuhlmeyer, fellow podcaster. He says, "Have you guys ever covered the Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill buddy films?" Uh, and no, we haven't. He said, "I just watched Odds and Evens, uh, which Sergio Cabucci directed." where they play brothers using gambling to save a monastery. There's also other wheelings and dealings, but that's the main story. Uh, I know you're deep in the silent films right now, but maybe next year. Um, I told him we're going to put some Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill on the list for this year. So hopefully we'll get to some. Their stuff's mostly 60s and 70s. but And they did like all kinds of different genres. Spaghetti Westerns. They did sort of like action comedies and stuff like that. And just sort of other buddy comedies. So everything, everything they do is pretty much buddy comedies, but in different mm-hmm. genres. And they're really good. They're really, really good. So uh, Yeah, I haven't seen any of them, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, put them on the list. Like, like there's actually a, a video game that was made like in the last couple of years. Hmm. starring them and it's it's them like it's kind of a meta game where they're like going through some of their movies and stuff and uh, and, and it's like a fighting game it's it's pretty funny that's cool. um yeah did you see the oh no you said you weren't on the facebook group for a while uh cameron sullivan posted a uh one of those steven crowder memes you know oh yeah uh, <laughs> change my mind yeah change my mind basically just saying that our podcast is very popular or something like that and i <laughs> and, I, and I told him I could show him our uh, yeah our download numbers if if, if he wanted to, me to dispute that. We're not exactly on uh, like iHeartRadio numbers here or anything. You know? uh, <laughs> still, still appreciated though. Uh, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, every every single one of you counts, and we yeah. know because we know individually. You know, when you don't listen, we notice. Yeah, there are that few of you. <laughs> 
And we have one YouTube comment here, and uh, this is on the Beyond the Door 3 uh, episode we did with Matt Simpson from uh, Movie Melt. And this is from Mikkel Sokol, and he says, I love this film. Great atmosphere. Yeah, sure. Cool, yeah. Not really really comment on what we (laughs) had to say about it, but, you know, that's fine. That's fine, yeah. (laughs) Where's the damn movie? That's what yeah. <laughs> I will move on to what we've watched lately. I know you got nothing to mention. Um, I've just got two brief things I'll go through here quick. I watched uh, Happy Death Day from 2017. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? No. Well, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I haven't. Uh, I couldn't place it now. It's a sort of comedy slasher film that uses the sort of Groundhog Day rules. This, co- this female college student who gets murdered on on her birthday mm-hmm. and she keeps getting murdered then waking back up again and reliving the day oh, and God. she's and she's got and she's got to uh you know figure out who the killer is and then try to get out of the sort of loop like in groundhog <clears throat> day right yeah. and it's very clever it, it's funny it, you know it's, it's nothing super deep or anything like that but it's pretty well done like the comedy is on point but the sort of slasher stuff uh, when it wants to be sus- suspenseful and, and kind of tense, it, it actually does do it really well. And just some like fun performances and stuff. It's kind of goofy and fun and lightweight watching, but it's 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 good if you have nothing else to watch on like Netflix or whatever, right? So yeah, no, that sounds that sounds uh, cute. I mean, that sounds like like a, a fun t- way to spend ninety minutes, honestly. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you. <laughs> If you're gonna if you're gonna do the Groundhog Day thing, you better not fuck it up. Basically, you know, if you, so, <laughs> and they don't fuck it up, so it's good. Right. The other one I'm gonna mention is and this is gonna be on my best of the year list. It's called VFW, which stands for uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars, and it's basically about a bunch of these old ex-soldiers, and they they just hang out in this you know this uh, bar for uh, veterans of foreign wars, and it's it's kind of set in a um, I wouldn't say necessarily future. I, I don't know if it's quite contemporary or if it's like slightly in the past, but it's like a dystopia version, like more of a dystopia than what we're living in right now. Uh, right. And, and, it, and it stars a bunch of, uh, you know, like name character, tough guy actors. Uh, it's got like Stephen Lang, William Sadler, Fred Williamson is in it. Uh, Ooh, Martin Cove from uh, Karate Kid, uh, the, the, the Cobra Kai dojo leader from, uh, karate Kid, and it's also got George Wint in it for just some reason, because <laughs> it's maybe because the movie's got a bar in it. I don't know, but it, it's kind of like a mix of Assault on Precinct Thirteen and Mandy, and maybe uh, Hobo with a Shotgun. If you ever seen that, because it, it's, right. it's, it's it's definitely like a sort of a grindhouse gore movie, but it's also like a siege film, and they're they're just these old farts in their bar, just going about their day, and then this young girl. Uh, runs into the bar with a suitcase full of drugs, and and it's and it's this weird drug that's uh, turns like bikers and stuff into mutants and sh- and shit like that. And the drug dealers, of course, want their drugs back, so they you know they set up a siege on the bar and then try to get in. And there's just lots of blood and shit like that. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, it, it yeah, no, me... that look, that's I'm I'm looking it up right now. Honestly, I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds great. You know, you yeah, you haven't had me at Williams. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? 
Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan, and I are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Hello there. My name is Matt, and I'm a humble court bailiff in a courtroom designed to bring musical justice to all. Each week, we have a podcast with a judge and a jury, and we determine whether a song is guilty, not guilty, or not guilty by reasons of insanity. You know, something like, uh... Or maybe it's a cover of Tom Petty. You can find us wherever you find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. Just look for songs on trial, please. Okay, I love you. Make good choices. full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. And we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. Driving through cult classics in every genre to find holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We'd love to watch the movies you hate.
Okay, the general, aka the engine driver from 1926, and uh, this is directed by uh, Clyde Bruckman and Buster Keaton, and uh, they would so they were partners on a lot of stuff. Uh, Clyde Bruckman unfortunately has a very sad end. Oh yeah, over yeah he had over a hundred writing credits. And of course, several directing credits as well. This just just sucks. I read this story. I was like, oh fuck. Apparently, he was destitute, and I don't know what all other problems he might have had. But he borrowed Buster Keaton's gun, and after eating a meal that he could not pay for, he shot himself. So uh, yeah, sadly, he, he uh, ended his life. Written by uh, Buster Keaton, Clyde Bruckman. There's a ton of writers on this. Al <laughs> Boasberg, Charles Henry Smith, Paul Gerard Smith, William Pettinger, who is actually the guy this movie is based on, because this is based on a real-life story. Based uh, on a he, real story, yep. Yeah, uh, he wrote Daring and Suffering, A History of the Great Railroad Adventure, and he also had a memoir, The Great Locomotive Chase, that this is based on, basically. And, right, uh, this is an actual historical event that happened. Didn't quite happen like it happens in well, the movie. Didn't quite happen this way. No, no. There, <laughs> there was a railroad uh, yeah. in the south, and uh, people were chasing it. That's basically the reality of what you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was on the uh, on the cow uh, catcher or whatever. Inspired uh, by know. true events is, yeah. is what we would call this today. That, yes. That's what you have today, yeah. It's starring uh, Marion Mack as uh, Annabelle Lee, Glenn Cavender as Captain Anderson, Jim Farley as General Thatcher, Frederick Vroom as a Southern General, Charles Henry Smith as her father, Frank Barnes as her brother, Joel Keaton as Union General, Mike Donlin as Union General, Tom Non as Union General, <laughs> uh, and uh, Buster Keaton, you know, taking the last credit here, build, build last after uh, everybody else as Johnny Gray. Buster Keaton got a start in vaudeville, part of a vaudeville uh family act from what i understand and sort of learn sort of stunt tumbling trade by basically just being thrown around by his parents and shit in vaudeville from from what i read he started in films with fatty arbuckle sometime in the uh 19-teens. then he started directing shorts in 1920 and from there till about 29 his body of work is considered by most people to be one of the single greatest runs in film history as far as like a body of work goes and after that he kind of sold his soul to the um big film companies for a while and yeah. became a contract player and sort of fell into alcoholism for a while unfortunately but apparently had like a career resurgence after that and sort of cleaned himself up before he died uh age 70 uh yeah Died of cancer, from what I understand, and he he didn't realize he was like no one told him he had cancer. Like he apparently, from what the story, like they were just like, oh no, you're just kind of you know you just got to take it easy. Like apparently his doctors <laughs> didn't tell him that he had like lung cancer. So, <laughs> you know there there was an era of this like paternalistic like kind of medical culture of which, and you know we're not not to say we are beyond that now, but I mean there was a sort of sense in which you know your doctor would not just like tell you, oh, you have cancer, it'd be like, well, there's nothing really we can do anyway, so uh, go on, live your life, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, see you, uh, pay me now, not six months from now. Right, uh, <laughs> right, Jesus. Uh, uh, we have a synopsis here from someone called Ed Stefan on uh, IMDb. He says, Johnny loves his train, the general, and Annabelle Lee. When the Civil War begins, he is turned down for service because he's more valuable as an engineer. Annabelle thinks it's because he's a coward. Union spies capture the general, 
with Annabelle Lee on board, Johnny must rescue both his loves. And yeah, that's that's a good bare that's bones. The premise, yes, yep. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Not really well, a synopsis. And then, uh, you know, very little dialogue happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uh, basically an action movie. It's uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, probably you know. Again, where you know we're we're watching these silent movies and we're seeing like the DNA of film. Like this is kind of where the modern action film feels like it kind of this starts. Is, this is Fast and the Furious, Chattanooga Drift. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it is it is very like that same kind of attitude towards <laughs> cinema at that point because like it's action heavy. Mm-hmm. It's stunt heavy at that, you know, as those films are. It's um, built around, you know, like we build like this kind of great chase. We build this, and then uh, there's a plot that just sort of strings all that together. So, well, you know, I mean, look, the hero of the film is a Confederate, and the bad guys are the Union soldiers. Yeah, and this kind of fits well into this sort of like era in which the Civil War was kind of seen as like something that we as Americans all just kind of need to like get over together and just kind of see it as a brotherly spat and like seeing like kind of heroes who are on either side of that war is basically equally likely at this point. I mean, this is kind of pretending that this all didn't happen. (laughs) It's kind of what pop culture is doing. This is symptomatic of that, but it's not part of this film. This film doesn't have like an ideological sort of pick there. It's just telling the story of this like great, war story and it's not even really doing that it's not even really like saying like and this is our our great hero it's it's literally just a device on which we're just going to string this utterly astonishing uh set of set of stunts on um this was a huge budget movie at the time i mean this was uh, i think seven hundred fifty thousand dollars is how much it cost um lost money at the time uh was kind of rediscovered decades later and is now considered to be one of the great um examples of, of silent film orson wells considered this like the greatest film ever made I mean, you know, this and Stagecoach, I guess, were like his two, which, you know, tells you a bit about what Orson Welles liked in filmmaking. Yeah. Or there, there, was, a, there was an action film uh, be- beating underneath that man's, uh, you know, uh, more art film exterior. And he never did, yeah. He never did it, yeah. It would have been interesting to see him do something like this. But I think the uh, we sometimes uh, kind of think of Buster Keaton and these kind of early silent comedians as you know, primarily just kind of like making funny faces kind of kind of stuff. This is uh, definitely more sophisticated than that. It mm-hmm. does have a, quite a bit of uh, really nice humor <laughs> uh, running through it. Um, you know, physical comedy of uh, you know, kind of uh, some of some of the some a lot of like classic bits are you know were kind of invented here. You know, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of stuff like playing around with the cannons and the uh, you know <laughs> oh the fires upward instead of sideways and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the stuff from the uh, the action sequences on the railroad, like we saw, we see kind of recycled here and there. But yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's a masterpiece. It's a great film. It's really entertaining. This yeah. is something that you could kind of sit people down in front of and they get a lot out of it. Even just, it's kind of like, you know, oh yeah, just, you know, it, you know, it doesn't have to be anything more than what it is ultimately. And I think that is, I think that the, this is one that I would recommend people see without thinking too hard about it. I mean, just kind of like it is, this is something if you see it on Turner classic movies or you just, you know, see it on the, I think it's on Amazon prime, but if you just kind of click on it and watch, it's a really easy watch. I think much more so than some of the other stuff, even better films that we've covered. Yeah. Um, I think this does speak to modern audiences more just because it's, you know, it's made in the grammar of um, action cinema. ultimately. Yeah. The, the production on this is just, 
I mean, we, we, we've seen some really good production in some of the ones we've done already, but this just, and, and it also might just be because I'm really spoiled by the fact that the prints for this are really good. I watched it on YouTube and it's like a Blu-ray rip and it's yep. fucking amazing. It's a Kino Blu-ray rip. It's got the proper uh, uh, sepia color tinting. It's got the original uh, William P. Perry score on it with the piano. Really, really good. And it just looks like a modern film for the most part. Like it, right. it really does. And all the sets look good. Like nothing on this looks cheap. Like it all looks like really <laughs> expensive. Nothing here was cheap. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's just more amazing when you read that Keaton's doing all the stunts here and he's doing most of like, he's, he's Jackie Channing, this fucking thing. Like <laughs> Jackie Channing way before there was a Jackie Chan. And mm. I mean, and there are at least two parts in this movie where he could have easily died. Yeah. And he's, you know, writer, director, producer, star. And uh, there there are two, like, classic moments where, like, you know, very easily Buster Keaton could have just instantly died. One where he's, like, sitting on the uh, the railroad car mm-hmm. on the, um, the, the I don't know, the, the line, the connector bar between the uh, the train wheels. Yeah. Which is, like, kind of a classic moment. And he's, just, you know, it's like, oh, I'm despondent. I'm just going to sit down. And then suddenly the train starts up. It's a great little funny moment. It's a great piece of action cinema. Um, easily, easily could have died. Just he right could have could have easily slid off that and got chewed up by the wheels. Like it, it just if one thing it hits a rock in the wrong place and yeah, it, you know, right through his fucking skull. Um, so you know, very glad that didn't happen. Yeah. And then later, the um, I mean, one of the great like little uh, action sequences in movie history is the. Uh, the bit where uh, Keaton has to like kind of grab the uh, the railroad spike, the uh, yeah, oh my god, big, uh, piece of wood, uh, the railroad line, and then gets caught up by the train and then throws that one against the other one, and then mm-hmm. they both one bit of that goes wrong and Keaton's dead. Yep. <laughs> that's it, and probably a cameraman or something as well. Um, <laughs> this is like kind of the obvious thing that everybody says about the general is that you know the action sequences are amazing, but. They're not just amazing; they're astonishing. Yeah, <laughs> how like and how like hardcore some of this action is, and how pervasive. I mean, this movie is basically you know like a ten minute intro, and then there's kind of ten minutes at the end, which is you know kind of wrapping up what little plot we have mm-hmm. and a little bit of smooching. Other than that, it's pure comedy action. You know, you've yeah. it's an hour and twenty minutes long or so, hour eighteen or something like that. A full hour of this is just you know pure movement. Um, which is, you know, it's like, I mean, certain shots also seem to be taken directly from the Great Train Robbery, which is interesting that we're even seeing yeah. stuff referenced even from, even at that time, they were referencing kind of the The, the, the shot on, like, every time you get, like, a shot on the train looking at the head train car from yeah. behind, like, the locomotive, that, I, yeah. yeah, I was looking, I was like, that's that's the Great Train Robbery right there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that shot, that's that influence right there, yep, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, man, just, just watching... Keaton do this stuff and it's like so kind of the granddaddy of fucking stunt work really like he not only is he doing everything else he's doing the stunts and it's it's amazing to think that and I'm not trying to shit on stunt performing now but it's it's such it, it feels like it's such a much more compartmentalized niche job now like you, right. they just they're not doing the stuff they used to do anymore because you know you could do it with CGI now you could just you could fix it with CGI if you wanted to and seeing this guy 
he he must have been an influence on like so many stunt performers. Like, oh yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you if you listen to interviews or look at interviews done by stunt performers, I mean, you know, they'll all say, oh yeah, you know, particularly of a certain era. I mean, I don't know that it's true today, but mm-hmm. I mean, they will like Buster Keaton is just like a legend, um, you know, in terms of the and a lot of. I mean, we kind of say like Keaton could have died a couple of times in this, you know, but I mean, a lot of what stunt work is is not like doing the thing that's dangerous, but doing the thing that's dangerous safely. Yeah. You know? And the truth is that today we have much better technology that allows us to do things that look astonishing that, um, but can be done much more safely where we can, you know, remove guide wires and we can remove, you know, kind of the safety equipment and everything like that, which they couldn't do at that time. Mm-hmm. Clearly there is like safety apparatus. I mean, there are people with, like fire extinguishers, you know, sitting yeah. on stage and that sort of thing, but it's easy to sort of like over romanticize, you know, the era in which like, yeah, people definitely died making a lot of these mm-hmm. things, right? You know, yeah, no, there there is something, there is a purity to it at that point. And it's also like knowing that it knowing that it is real, knowing that it is, you know, kind of being done like this, it makes the finished product all the more there, there's this there's this um verisimilitude. It's not even verisimilitude. There's a there's a reality to it. Yeah. Right? And you do see like films that do like, oh yeah, we do do our all, all you know, we do, we did this using stunt work. We didn't do this with um, CGI specifically to sort of like tap into that same sort of thing. And uh, you know, it is easy to kind of get jaded with modern action stuff because it is just easy to do everything with, with CG, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I, sorry, I'm babbling a bit, but uh, you know. And it's great too. Cause like Keaton, although, you know, he is a, a comedic actor, he doesn't act like a fucking clown. Right. His timing, his facials, and all that—they're very on point. And I, I was reading um, Ebert's great movies uh, review of this tonight, and and he mentioned something that I actually picked up on that uh, when when he's first walking to Annabelle Lee's house to you know basically just say, "Hey, by the way, I I, I want to fuck you someday," Let, you know, <laughs> uh, and I think you want to fuck me, so we should probably get this going. He's followed by the two little kids who are like admirers of him, you know. Which I, which I thought was cool. Like, they're, that feels very real. Like, you know, a couple little kids in town. Oh, shit, the, the engineer of the train. He's, he's awesome. And he's going he's gonna to show us what's wrong with the train or whatever or, or, and, and, you know, point out some things. And then they follow him around with a little bit of hero worship. He walks up to uh, her door. She's in, like, the side of the yard or whatever. And they, they walk past her and don't see her. So she follows them. And he's going up to knock on her door to, you know, to, to, to visit her. And then she walks up to his vision and he sees her and he doesn't do the, uh, oh, you know, big surprise look. Right, right, right. 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 He doesn't do the awuga look. Yeah. Kind of you're trying to suggest. Yeah. Um, yeah, then, no, no. There's a subtlety uh, to the performance. You're right. I mean, to, to all the performances. I mean, this isn't. You know, I think I think we, um, you know, back in like Perils of Pauline and some of the other stuff, you know, yeah. some of the some of those kind of big exaggerated movements. You know, we're we're almost a decade, we're more than a decade out from Perils of Pauline. Uh, we're almost to the sound era, which you know feels yeah. like a weird thing to say for for this, you know. Um, but at the same time, we're you know, I do think that like sometimes the the silent uh, actors get a little bit of a bad rap for for being kind of like overly emotive or, or kind of whatever mm-hmm. being like kind of cartoon characters, and I think that to some degree that's uh, you know sort of the um, you know propaganda of the early sound era was kind of like more making fun. Like there's a bit in, like Sing in the Rain where they which is set during this time period set around 1927 when they were converting to sound. 
and um you know there's there's a bit where you know it's like oh no remember all that like and then they do like the broad pantomime acting you know like which is that's not real acting what we do now this is real acting you know yeah, but and then mean, like you know, the method's gonna show up in five years and like screw <laughs> those guys over so you know yeah but no, i mean we we discussed this pr- previously that you know they had to they had to go big because i mean if if you're gonna present this picture for like you know 60 minutes at, at this time probably 60 minutes at the most for for most of these pictures early early in the in the in the silent era you got to keep the audience's attention you you got to mm-hmm. keep them focused on what's going on and you got to let them know and it, it's no different direct lineage from theatrical stage performance where you, you got to be big you also don't do like close-ups in most of these films yeah. in this area, and and I think that now things are starting to change. In the, in the by the by the mid to late twenties, you're starting to see a little bit more of that kind of, you know, you know, camera work kind of being used to capture expressions and kind of doing those like kind of alternate setups and and really kind of intercutting more, um, which we didn't see in kind of the early years. But um, and I think it also helps. I mean. Um, Chaplin was kind of the same way, you know, the, the difference between the, the actor versus the actor director, sort of the actor director. I mean, these were often a lot of these films of this era. I don't know if um, Keaton did this. I don't think that the general is this way, but Chaplin used to like go and shoot for a while and then like take a couple of months off and then figure out what he else he wanted to do with the movie and then kind of come back and shoot more footage um, <laughs> with the idea of like this is sort of like this is the process by which we're making movies, right? You know, I've got these ideas for like setups I want to do, and then we kind of build the narrative later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we kind of like build like build like build around the the stunts. You know, clearly that's not what's going on here. But you mm-hmm. know, the fact that he's a stunt performer and the lead actor and the writer and the director and the producer means that it's all kind of of one idea. It's all one one whole that you know you you know you know you're beginning and end and then you get like bunch of like chase sequences in the middle and then you're just kind of building like a series of cool effect shots is sort of like the, the yeah. idea and that's i think that's what makes it feel so modern and so much like kind of a modern action movie um because a lot of those films are just kind of like yeah all we're doing is basically just stringing together enough um dialogue to get you from one fight scene to another you know that's yeah. all, that, that's all yeah. that we're really doing here you know <laughs> and i mean all the action scenes here are like well highlighted too like he's got a lot of wide shots here especially the train like when when you get to <laughs> when you get to the fucking like the, the train car on fire mm-hmm. and and you get to the 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 big finale with the uh what it's the uh, texas i believe that train's yeah. called mm-hmm. what, that hits the bridge and and fucking the bridge goes and and that and that, that thing goes down and like Apparently that that scared people who were watching this being filmed because they didn't expect it to happen, right? Like, <laughs> right. And apparently, some people thought the dummy was a real, the real driver, the real engineer. Uh, right, right. No one told them. So apparently, <laughs> the dummy was good enough that people were like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody knew what a dead body looked like in 1926. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, no. No one died before like 1930. Yeah. So it's, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's when death was invented. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of sucks, <laughs> but it made gotta, movies more realistic, so it's fine. You know? Yeah, yeah, man, it's it's such an easy watch, and it's just so it's so breezy, but at the same time amazing. Like it's right. it, it, it's 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 two two different things. Like it's such an easy watch too. It's just 
because uh, probably because there is no story really <laughs> yeah no i mean i think that's a lot of it i think that there is um i mean it's worth talking about other performers as well as uh keaton um and in particular um you know i always like to you know mention the uh, marion mack um mm-hmm. Annabelle lee is, is the main female lead i think she's really good in this um it turns out i looked her up just to kind of see what else she did she retired a couple of years after this is kind of her big claim to fame she mm-hmm. did like i think a dozen movies or whatever but then she uh basically left uh acting and went on to do like she had like a little my little um like screenwriting career right right um, later on and then she becomes a real estate agent and lives until the 80s you know yeah so, you know like 89 kind of, or something she lived nine. yeah no i mean she lived i mean you know into into our lifetimes which is always kind of a you know interesting moment um but i think she's really funny here i think she's really good i think she is i mean you know ultimately she is i mean at one point she is literally stuffed in a sack and carried around <laughs> i mean you know uh let's not let's not pretend this is some like proto-feminist piece of piece of work here. no she's she's she, and she's presented like a ditz too kind right, of like, right. no, and, definitely. And, and, and i mean I mean, let, no, let, one of, my favorite little comedy moment that isn't Buster Keaton, and in fact, maybe my favorite comedy moment in the film mm-hmm. is when uh, she's standing on the locomotive with uh, with Buster Keaton, and like she picks up a uh, a broom and starts sweeping. Like I laughed out loud at that moment. It was just like, <laughs> I mean, it's such a like stupid sexist thing, you know. And like, come on, we're running from the union here. Come on, let's move on here. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's such a funny little it's such a funny little gag. I was just, I was she's just showing she can be a proper housewife when she's just showing done, I yeah. can do things too. Yes, yeah. you're you're attacking the union, but I am sweeping. So it's fine. And you know, uh, of course once we go back to our plantation, we'll have uh, black people to do that for us. Oh no, wait, we lost the war. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, the sequel to the general is like, oh yeah, and then we lost the war. Yes. And he goes on to leave, he goes on to join the KKK. <laughs> that's, the, that's the sequel. <laughs> and the sequel would be done in the talkie era and she'd be like, I didn't think I was actually gonna have to sweep the house. <laughs> Uh, and, and it's also it's like I, I was kind of okay. So she's only interested in in him if he enlists. Like, uh, come on. There's a. I mean, so many films. I mean, this this comes back. I mean, you know, presumably we'll do some stuff about World War Two here shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, when World War Two happens in our, <laughs> in our well, we got World version. War One coming up. Next we got World War One coming up, so you know it's gonna be fine. But uh. Yeah, no, there, there, there's always kind of this, like, well, you know, you're not a real man unless you enlist to, to, to fight in the war sort of thing. And, like, I, I think there, there is, you know, something to the, like, narrative that he has to sort of be somebody in the film. Like, the character has to be genuinely heroic at the, you know, for, for the entire film, but also, like, passed over for some reason. And the reason he's passed over is, like, oh, no, you're too valuable in your current job. Yeah. You're, too, you're too noble to risk going on the front lines because you're too good here. It would be a different film if he actually was kind of a coward and just kind of couldn't bring himself to do it and then found heroism through doing the things that he does in the in the film. That would kind of be another angle on it. Uh, but they don't do that. I mean they really I mean he really is like, oh no, you were just in virtuous all along and it was like these like uh, you know the the woman just didn't believe you because uh, she was lied to by uh, you know the world around her or whatever. Yeah, she she was lied to, and and also he he didn't hear that you know he he, he didn't realize he was passed over because you know you know you're valuable as a train engineer and right. Of course, no one else heard that either, so everyone assumed oh, it's it's because you're 
really small and, and awkward. <laughs> like yeah. Buster Buster Keaton's like arguably maybe the first big screen nerd. Could be. Yeah. Could be. I mean, you know, probably not the probably not the first, but certainly as a uh, as a, as a kind of leading man. He's also um Buster Keaton himself, I looked this up. Buster Keaton himself is five foot five. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, the the little man syndrome is definitely kind of playing a uh, playing a part here, um, because he is like towered over by other people um, at several points during this like, film. You can get the, the the sort of ability to do these stunts so well because of a smaller frame. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's just you know he's not gonna he's not gonna injure himself like a two hundred pound man would. You know, apparently he was playing baseball on set with people like in between yeah. takes. And like people, uh, like the ba- the other people playing baseball thought he was possibly good enough to go pro playing baseball. Like Jesus. that's how good an athlete this guy was. Sorry, continue, but you know that's kind of wow. a weird, weird factor there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just it's like, oh my god, this guy's five five and he's tiny, and you're gonna die, motherfucker! <laughs> like, get off that fucking train, you're gonna die. <laughs> and but he doesn't because he's just that fucking. Just that fucking in charge of his like body, like that much of an athlete, where right, you know he right. can just he and he's got the confidence to pull that shit off. Um, definitely something to, to definitely respect, and yeah. um, at the same time performing, same time like just doing a brilliant performance as an actor as well. Right. Like, um, how how the fuck did this guy just get like swept up by the studios and like ignored? for like 20 years i think there's a like it, it is it is kind of this bit where like there was this like sea change going from silent to talky going mm-hmm. from the sound era like it does seem like the studio whether it was like the the people themselves making the films or not directors and writers were often kind of like kept along but i think the stars you know i think the problem kind of became like you were seen as being a part of this kind of older era. You were seen as kind of being this, the way that like TV actor and like movie actors kind of were like up until, you know, really kind of the era of prestige TV starting around, you know, 2000 or whatever. But it used to be like very talented, really great actors considered TV actors as opposed to sort of film actors. And now there's a lot more kind of going back and forth. But, uh, you know, I think there, I think there's a bit of that where like you were, you were a silent star and that's great, but will audiences do, do they want to see you talk? You know, and the, answer is, you know <laughs> the studios kind of thought not. And then maybe, maybe, yeah. And there is kind of a different kind of process there. Um, I saw a, a Twitter thread a, a little while ago when it was, uh, you know, actually getting to hear the voices of silent film stars. And oh, yeah. um, so there was a, uh, kind of a series of videos where you could, and then you could listen to like what these guys sounded like and what the actresses could sound like. Um, I forget what Buster Keaton sounds like, but but he was on the list because a lot of them did make films kind of into the sound era, and then suddenly you could like hear, oh, that's what Charlie Chaplin sounds like. That's what you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it is weird. One of the things I, I I've kind of mentioned this before. One of the things I'm looking forward to is uh, when we do get to sound and kind of seeing that transition period is like. <laughs> what Foley editing is going to start to sound like, you know, because mm. a lot of these films would be improved, not by like, I don't think that the general would be improved by it be a talkie. I don't, no. I think that the film is pure enough in its own form. It barely has intertitles, you know, like, <laughs> I was talking about like, you know, the, the iron horse about how like talky that film is, despite like not really have like it's, there's no, there's no dialogue in it, mm. but it's, 
they're t- kind of talking. That's a film that really wants to be a talkie. Yeah. This is a film that is very happy to be exactly what it is. It doesn't need dialogue at all. But I think there are certainly sequences where like having like an actual like sound mix and you could like hear like the, the gunshots and you can hear the cannon blast and that sort of thing yeah. would definitely kind of influence the way that this film plays. I would love to hear sort of a, a Foley mix. On, that, on, on that's, yeah, that's, that's actually interesting. Yeah, I, I would not want this as a talkie because it is a pure action film, really. And it, mm-hmm. and it really is driven by the visuals and the actual action just constantly going forward. Yeah, to have that cannon, to have like the, the sound of the train crashing with the bridge down into the into the uh, water or whatever. Like, yeah, that would be cool. That, that would be interesting. I'd like to hear that. You know, I don't know if I can say anything else about this like it, it it's brilliant like it, it's so yeah. like this is going to be on this, my... this is going to be one of our shortest episodes ever i think but i think we're both kind of like yeah it's great check it out it's on youtube you know what yeah, what this, are you waiting for this is gonna be on my best of the best of year list for sure like yeah, uh, yeah. I, I i liked it a lot um i don't just, think i can count this as a first time watch but no, you know <laughs> well uh I'm, I'm glad i saw it and um yeah. Uh, so, like we said, budget for this was uh, seven hundred fifty thousand. Gross in the United States in nineteen twenty-seven was two hundred thirty-three thousand, and then a cumulative worldwide gross in twenty-seven was one million. So it made a little bit of a profit eventually in, in twenty-seven, but you know, still. I guess not what they were looking not, for. Not, a, not enough. Not, not enough for the for the expenditure. You know, considering I mean, they wrecked it, the train. Like it is. I mean, this was one of the most expensive films ever made. I mean, in the fact mm. that there's one shot in this film, which is the single most expensive shot yes. in all of. I think you've got that on your show in your in your uh, list oh, of yeah. trivia there. So we can talk about that then. But it is a little bit like when like Justice League makes only $800 million. (laughs) And it's like, you know, well, you know, kind of a, kind of a failure there, you know, didn't really make, didn't really make enough money. It's like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, so like we mentioned uh, sort of briefly uh, based on a true incident during the civil war on April uh, 1862 union agent, James J. Andrews led a squad of 21 soldiers on a daring secret raid, Dressed in civilian clothes, Andrews and his men traveled by rail into the southern states. Their mission was to sabotage rail lines and uh, disrupt the Confederate Army's supply chain. At the town of Big Shanty, GA, uh, known as Kennesaw, uh, the raiders stole a locomotive known as the General and headed north, heading up the track, burning covered bridges and cutting telegraph lines along the way. And we see all this in the film. Yeah, there's sorry. One of the clever bits is just the like the degree of um, first Keaton being sabotaged by the mm-hmm. Union soldiers, and when he's trying to, and then like later on, he's trying to get the train back south, and then he's sabotaging the train behind him. And there's a yeah. there's a lot of like clever little bits of business there um, on both sides of that. I mean, they really do kind of think of like anything you can do to like slow down a train they do in this movie, oh, well, they're, 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 they're super inventive because i mean we, we've talked about <laughs> in our sherlock Holmes series we talked about yeah. train chasing a train how fucking boring that actually is <laughs> 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 like if you're not gonna have a sword fight on the fucking top of the train you got to do something else like that's right. all there is to it they right? found a lot of they found a lot of clever stuff and this is <laughs> This it it was you know like you know in that Sherlock Holmes review when they're you know like ripping the train ripping the uh, 
the the tr- uh, rail car apart and like using it to feed the uh, the the fire. And I'm like, yeah. oh, they kind of do that in the general a bit too. That's interesting. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. About that, but. William Fuller and Jeff Kane, the conductor and engineer of the general, pursued the stolen train uh, by rail and foot. Uh, although this film is a comedy, the incident was later filmed by Walt Disney as a drama, The Great Locomotive Chase, in 1956, uh, with Fess Parker, a southerner born in Texas as Andrews. And um, all these uh, all these guys, by the way, they sort of they sort of breeze over this because this is a comedy. Uh, all, all those, uh, all those Union soldiers and spies—they uh, were hung. Yeah. <laughs> they were all killed. You know, none of this uh, honorable. Oh, I'm just going to lay my sword on your table and walk away. You know, everything's fine. No, you're yeah. you're hung. No, no, you're dead. You're dead. That's that's the way. That's the way it goes. You know? How dare um, you try to preserve the Union and take away our black people? Do we don't get to own them anymore? Yeah, you, you fucking die, bastard. die. Uh, the first try at getting the cannonball to shoot out of the cannon into the cab caused the ball to shoot with too much force to cause it to shoot into the cab of the engine correctly. Buster Keaton had to count out the grains of gunpowder with tweezers. So he had to get it precise. Yeah. Which and, is a thing that like you, if you've ever actually dealt with gunpowder. Yeah. I, I know this, my, my brother and my dad are both big into that. So uh, they're always talking about, Oh, every time I hear them talk, they're talking, well, maybe we should only use this many grains this time when we go to the range or whatever. You know, like, okay, I get it. For the scenes with opposing armies marching, and by the way, I I think we sort of forgot to to mention how, like, there's an epic scale of, like, war footage they're doing here kind of Mm -hmm. thing. At one one point it's happening, and Buster Keaton's, like, totally oblivious to it. (laughs) And certain sequences, I think, are definitely modeled off of Birth of a Nation Mm. as well, but, like, done for comedy. So, I mean, it is, I mean, there is, like, a there is, like, a parody element to to these sequences, you know, where in Birth of a Nation, um, you know, it's all kind of treated as this kind of very serious, valorous thing, and here, like, Buster Keaton is, like, kind of poking (laughs) poking it in the ribs and being like, hey, look, we got a cannon, and then, like, people died. It's great, you know. (laughs) For the scenes of the opposing armies uh, marching, Buster Keaton had the extras, which included 500 uh, Oregon National Guard troops, where the gray uniforms of the Confederacy and march in one direction past the camera. Then he had them change uniforms to the Union Blues and had them march past the camera in the other direction. And I assume that's all in one shot, too, because everything in here was pretty much one shot. I'm kind of imagining, um, you know, them not even changing that what they did was they just had uniforms that were gray on one side and blue on the other. <laughs> that that's brilliant. That's actually fucking. I could have I could have I could have saved I could have saved them uh, you know a little bit of time there on, on shooting day. You know, come on. You could have cut half their budget out. They could have cut half their budget. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for the scene in which the Texas crashes through the bridge, Keaton uh, spared no expense uh, <laughs> using six cameras and thousands of local extras. It cost nearly. $50,000 at the time was the most expensive single shot in the entire silent movie era. The Texas itself remained in the river until World War II when it was salvaged for scrap iron. Apparently they wanted to use the original train, the General, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, like kept in a museum. And the uh, the people who owned it were like, oh, yeah, sure. No, that's great. You're going to make a film about our, our exploits. Yeah. And then they found out it was a comedy and went like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had a similar trivia on the previous episode. I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was from the covered wagon. Uh, that, that happens quite a bit. That happens yeah. quite a bit. It's like, what, you're going to make fun of me? No, that's not. That's yeah. Not 
Although, um, although, I mean, the the reality is like you know, imagine, imagine how like pissed off those investors feel now, in the sense of like you could we could have used this in like one of the greatest films ever made. It could have could have been like front and center right there. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have used the real one. Um, I do wonder if wherever that train is held, if they play, you know, <laughs> if they play this film, you know, probably do. <laughs> Go, well, that's not, that wasn't actually our, our that wasn't actually our train, but uh, you know, uh, close <laughs> enough. If they probably changed at this point, uh, <clears throat> we begged Buster Keaton to use our train, <laughs> but but that that Hollywood slickster just wasn't into. You know what uh, those Hollywood types are like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this this is great. Um, so we're doing Wings next. Wings, yep. Uh, yeah. We're going to do the entirety of the um, TV series, Wings. Uh, yeah. Jumping all the way up to the 80s. No, we're not. I think I made that joke before. We uh, did, but yeah, that's still funny. <laughs> can, make it, can make it all. Can, I'll make it next week, too, you know. We're going to do the, Joe Hackett and uh, yeah, you know, I, Airplanes I, and Nantucket. No, I already, I already mentioned we're, we're branching off. We're going to do Sideways. We're going to do Spider-Man 3. We can do other projects from the cast of Wings. Uh, yep, the the yep. lead of Wings, he was in Stephen King's version of The Shining for TV. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're yep. gonna be doing that. He uh, did. He did a remake of The Fugitive. He did a TV series based on like the 1995 movie. Oh uh, wow! Starring Harrison Ford, uh, Tim really? Daly. Yeah, no, I think it ran for like four episodes or something. Jesus yeah, Christ! I didn't. I never heard of that. Um, also, yeah, the female lead in that she was in uh, Slumber Party Massacre. So yeah, oh yeah, can, uh, yeah, Crystal Bernard. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on that show. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna do wings, and um, oh, we've already done Dracula Dead and Loving it. That had um, uh, Stephen Weber in it. Yeah, yeah, was, Stephen Weber. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yeah. yeah. We're gonna the wings averse. <laughs> <laughs> the the wings expanded expanded cinematic universe. We're going to now have our own little side project there, just doing. Uh, yeah, no, that's yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a really bad idea. It's totally not happening. That's yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Do we do we even want the audience of five people to listen to us on a regular basis? <laughs> I can you imagine if that's the thing that suddenly we get like paid for is like you know we're, we're doing a Wings Universe podcast and suddenly like the like the fandom for that ends up being like this like lumbering giant on the internet <laughs> and that's the thing where suddenly millions of people are like in on bated breath for us to talk about uh, Wings. For another week. Well, you know, the road not taken. We'll yeah. we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> There's an alternate universe where we're right now we're we're lounging in swimming pools with millions of dollars from our yeah. podcast success. I didn't know my baby loved me so until that letter comes to let me know. I'll pack my bags and then I'll go and catch the first train I see hidden south. If I'd have got this letter and I'd have pulled With snow so deep it wouldn't let me go I'd have went all the wild and melted all that snow And caught the first train I saw hidden south If I'd have got this letter and I'll wait Nothing in this world could make me stay I'd have grabbed my hat and then been on my way And caught the first train I saw hidden south I didn't know my baby loved me so Until that letter come to let me know 
And I'll pack my bags and then I'll go And catch the first train I see hitting the south Let her come to let me know I'll pack my bags and then I'll go And catch the first train I see heading south If I'd have got this letter in Ohio With a busted back, two arms and a broken toe There'd be no hesitation, I would go And catch the first train I saw heading south But I got this letter up in Maine Bit your bottom dollar, I feel the same. If they could be clacked on the driver's poor name, as I ride this fast train, I caught hit the side. I didn't know my baby loved me so until that letter come to let me know. I'll pack my bags and then I'll go and catch the first train I see hitting the side. You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.